Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So my, my heart this morning and just ask you to join me in praying for those. Um, first is if you're in a small group, um, you, you should have seen this. And if you're not, we're going to try to make sure, um, hopefully that you get plugged into a small group. But two, uh, that you have these uh, prayer requests that each week we have a great prayer uh, team here at Rosemont and they are really trying to create this culture of prayer and help us grow in our understanding and our discipline in praying. And so each week they're creating a prayer point that they want us as a church to collectively uh, pray about. And so last week we prayed for Adam and his family. And then this week we're praying for the, the marriages and families of Rosemont. So if you'll just write that down and, and be praying about that with us this week, we would appreciate it. Uh, two, if you would uh, pray for my family. Uh, on Wednesday, we found out that my wife's grandmother passed away. She was 93 years old, uh, had a great life. She knew the Lord. Um, so this is really a celebration of life, but grief is still real. And, it, and to us, this is actually an act of grace on the Lord's part because uh, my wife's parents, who serve in Southeast Asia, were here on furlough. And so they could be at the, the funeral with their family, and Jamie flew out Saturday. Um, but my, my father-in-law was supposed to, to preach today, and so he had to cancel because he's going to be up there. And so I called Adam on Wednesday and let him know that, that Greg wouldn't be able to preach. And I just told him, I, I, but I feel like the Lord wants me to share a message that he's put on my heart. So if you'll pray for me also that I would be obedient, that I would... Uh, allow the Lord to speak through me and this message that he's given me. So let's open with prayer together. Father, we pray for the families of Rosemont that you would make them these beautiful displays of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our marriages would be strengthened and that they would be a testimony of your grace and your mercy, uh, making two one, just as we are one in you. Lord, we pray for our time together as we study your word, that you would bless us, that you would Uh, spur us on, that you would renew our minds, that you would conform us into the image of Christ, that your spirit would work, and you would help us to better understand this honor, this calling that you've given us to give our testimony of your grace and your mercy poured out in our life. And so speak through me. Let your word be glorified, and spirit of God move. In Christ's name, amen. Well, before we jump into the text, I want us to to watch a video together.
Oh, hey, going down? I'm not going down. Going up. Heaven. What a lovely, lovely home. Is your family purpose-driven? That movie was so funny. My church has funny videos and high-def screens. Do you know Jesus died for your sins? You're a good driver. This is a cool car. Who's in the driver's seat of your life? Man, that is so tough. You're struggling in your marriage. <laughs> Hold on. Sorry, prayer chain. Dude, I love hanging out with you. What? Oh, John Grisham. What a fantastic writer. Have you read Apostle Paul? Have you read Rick Warren? Have you read Francis Chan? Ravi Zacharias. George W. Bush. George H. W. Bush. Joel Osteen. Wow. Harry Potter. Interesting. I'm sure I recognize this music. What music is this? I, I just, I don't listen to secular music, sorry. Do you got any Michael W. Smith? Do you have any Stephen Curtis? Do you have any Newsboys? I don't listen to secular. Is this secular music? On a scale from one to ten, how atheist would you say you are? Hey, man. How's the game? Are you still an atheist? How much was that coffee? Do you realize that could feed a small African child for six months? That sounds like an amazing trip to Maui. I only go on missions trips. What is it gonna take for me to get you out of hell? Whoa, whoa, dude, stop, 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 stop. Do you know the Lord Jesus? I got some podcasts you would love. So convicting, especially for... Woo, it is bright. It's not as bright as the glory of God though. Let's open to Isaiah 55. Do you ever look at your life and then you look at my life and you're like, wow. So what are your Christmas plans? What are you gonna get your kids? We're not doing gifts. We're not into material things. No, we won't do Christmas. It has pagan roots. Man, what do you say you and me just go back to my place and just listen to sermons? You've been washed in the blood of the lamb yet? You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet? You've been baptized in fire yet? Wait, you saw that movie? You are so going to hell. Giving our testimony can be tricky at times, and it can be awkward, but really, it's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we were uh, preparing, you know, Jamie was going to fly up to Louisville with uh, our son, who's five months old, and, and she was just thinking through every detail. She, she knew there was going to be a flight, and so she didn't want to check a bag. She wanted to have everything she needed at her disposal because she didn't know how he was going to react on the plane. And so we're driving up, and she's pulling out these little plastic baggies, and she's got everything you can think of. And in fact, in order to make room, what she did is she called her parents the day before and said, can you please go and get some diapers and wipes? Because that's not going to fit in my carry-on. I'm just taking a carry-on. And so she's driving up, and she just starts thinking, oh, man, I hope they got the diapers and wipes. And I just, I mean, I just looked at her, and I was like, babe, I just want to let you know that in Louisville, Kentucky, they have supermarkets. You're not going to be, we're not in the jungle of Southeast Asia anymore. You're not going to be left stranded. But she was just being a good mother and preparing. Well, the same thing is true for our testimony. We need to be good stewards and prepare to give our testimony. We need to be intentional about giving our testimony. That's what we see in 1 Peter 3.15. Here's what it says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, sometimes we look at that verse and we think, well, that means what I need to be is Ravi Zacharias. And I need to stand in the hollowed halls of the great universities and debate the philosophers and the atheists. But that's not what this is saying. It just says give a defense. And your testimony is a defense of the hope that you have. I once was blind, 
but now I see full stop. I was in the tomb and he called, come forth. That has power and we don't need to downplay that and we need to be intentional to tell our story. And so today we're going to look at the end of Acts chapter 21 and chapter 22. I know that's what Adam preached last week, but he did an okay job, so I think we need to revisit it. Uh, No, but really what I want to do is just look at it from a different perspective because what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul, Paul giving his testimony. And I think we're going to see three main points about the Apostle Paul's testimony. And that was that he was committed, he had courage, and he had a composition. It's alliterated, easy to remember. He was Commit, he had a commitment, he had courage, and he had a composition. So in the book of Acts, what we see in the opening chapter is that Jesus is appearing to his disciples and he's teaching them about the kingdom. And he gives them this great statement, the thematic statement of the book of Acts, what we see unfolding in Acts 1.8. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we see. And then this man comes on the scene whose name is Saul, who becomes known as Paul, and he's a persecutor of the church. He wants to eradicate this new movement, and he's doing everything that he can. But Paul is miraculously converted, and he becomes a testifier to the way. He becomes a a person who is willing to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we see him go on these three missionary journeys that we read about in Acts 13 through 21. And he's sharing the gospel. He's in Asia Minor, which is like modern-day Turkey. He's in Greece. He's also doing it on the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea there in in Jerusalem, in Judea. So, So Paul is taking the gospel. And what we see consistent in his theme is that he has a commitment to share the gospel. He has a commitment to share his testimony. Well, coming up on, on 21, what we see is um, Paul is, has finished his, he's finishing up his third missionary journey, and he, he says that he has this desire to go to Jerusalem before Pentecost and then on to Rome. And so as he's wrapping up this missionary journey, he's going from Greece on his way to Jerusalem, we see in Acts 20, verse 22, here's what he says. He's meeting with the Ephesian elders. He's had great ministry with them for three years. There's this bond, and so he wants to meet with them, and he meets them in Miletus, and here's what he says to them. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I don't account my life as any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knows that this is not going to be comfortable. He knows that this is not going to be pretty. The Spirit is confirming in his heart and he knows that he just needs to stay committed because he has been entrusted with a great message. And then, after Paul leaves there, he makes his way to Caesarea, and in Caesarea he stays with Philip, who's the evangelist. And while he's he's staying there, there's this prophet named Agabus who comes to him. 
And Agabus takes Paul's belt, wraps it around Paul's wrists and ankles. And here's what he says, chapter 21, verse 11. Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. See, what's about to happen to Paul does not take him by surprise. The Spirit has spoken. The prophet has been given a message. This is not going to be pretty for Paul, but he has a commitment to share the gospel. He knows in the midst of this that God is sovereign and in control. Isn't it funny how sometimes when things get a little chaotic or uncomfortable, we all of a sudden think that God steps off the throne and says, good luck. I I mean, I I hope you can handle that, but I'm, I'm going to step aside. No, he is sovereign in every detail. And so we do everything we can to make ourselves comfortable in this day and age. In fact, Matt Chandler said this, Comfort is the God of our generation. So suffering is seen as a problem to be solved and not a providence from God. But not Paul. He was following the Lord and he knew it was about to get rough. That's why he could say in Acts 20, I don't count my life as any value. That's why he could say in Acts 21, For I am ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem. Because he knew that God was sovereign and that he was following the sovereign Lord where he was being led. He wasn't just following him because it was convenient or because it was being done on Paul's terms. He's not just following him because he's going to be giving some comfortable testimonies in churches here and there. What he knows is that he is about to suffer and he, is commit, he has a commitment to testify even if that meant imprisonment or death. So what about us? Rosemont Baptist Church, a people together. What is our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we have a commitment to share our testimony? So not only do we see that Paul has a commitment, but he also has the courage See, what is going on up until this point when we're going to look at the end of Acts 21 is Paul has now gone down to Jerusalem and he is meeting the church there, giving them this offering that he's taken up and it's a celebration. But James and the elders there let him know that there's this rumor going around that he hates Jews, that he is against the Jewish customs and traditions. They're saying that he is an anti-Jew. And so they want to squash this because they see division as not worth it, as something that we must address. And so they ask Paul, we need you to do this for the sake of the body here. What they want him to do is they want him to join these men who are going to complete this Nazarite vow. And they want him to pay all of their expenses, enter into this ritual purification in order to show his fidelity with the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem. And he agrees. Paul submits to this. He wants unity. And he knows this is false. 
But when Paul goes and he's about to complete this ritual purification, he goes to the temple and these Jews from Asia, remember Paul had just shared the gospel for three years in Ephesus in Asia. It had been fruitful. In fact, it was so fruitful that it says every day in the hall of Tyrannus in verse 1910, this is what they did. They continued for two years sharing so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so Paul was known in Asia. And so these Jews who were from Asia knew who Paul was. They knew what he was about. And they were not about to let him come and disrupt this area. And so these Asian Jews falsely accuse him. And they tell him he is anti-Jewish, he is anti-law, and he is anti-temple. In fact, they give him this outlandish um, accusation that he's bringing Gentiles into the temple, which is absolutely forbidden because that would defile the temple. See, in in that day, in the temple, there was this outer court, the, the court of the Gentiles. And between that outer court and the temple proper, there was this barricade. It was about chest high. And it divided the outer court from the temple proper. And Gentiles were not allowed to go inside this temple because they would defile it. In fact, we've seen where archaeologists say that on this barricade, they found these, in, these um, large marker stones that are about four and a half feet tall. And here's what was written on the inscriptions of these marker stones that were surrounding this barricade. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught trespassing will bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death. It was written in Greek and Latin to make sure that everyone knew what would happen if they did that. So this is no small accusation. And so they're ready to kill him. And in fact, we find out that they were actually beating him when the Roman commander came down. And his job was to, to keep the feast and find out why this riot had, had arisen and what was going on. And so he runs down to the group. He and his soldiers intervene. They grab Paul and they try to find out, what, what's this about? But he can't get a clear answer. No one is in agreement as to what Paul has done wrong. So he orders the soldiers to lift Paul up above the crowd. It's so pressing and get him out of there because it is getting dangerous. Paul knew this was coming and he went. Why? Because he had a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had a commitment to the ministry that he had been entrusted with. But he didn't just have a commitment. He had courage to testify. He had courage to share. Acts 21, verse 37. Let's read this. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I, I am a Jew from the Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Paul is beaten, he's bloodied, he's bruised, he's got a mob pressing in on him. And what does he do? Please permit me to speak to them. 
Amazon's late delivering a package to my house and I'm in an uproar. Paul's about to be killed by a group of people and he looks and he says, I beg you, permit me to speak to them. Why? Because he had the courage to share even if it was difficult. C.T. Studd, best missionary name ever. He was a missionary in China, India, and Africa. Listen to these words and hear this charge. Too long have we been waiting for one another to begin. The time of waiting is past. The hour of God has struck. War is declared. The God of heaven, he will fight for us as we for him. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock of the sayings of Christ. And the gates and the minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should such men as we fear before the world, a before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, namby-pamby Christian world, we will dare to trust our God. We will venture our all for him. We will live and we will die for him. We will have the real holiness of God, not the, the sickly stuff of talk and dainty words and, and pretty thoughts. We will have a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for Jesus. Paul was not a namby-pamby Christian. He was a man who was ready to be courageous, who was ready to have courage to testify. And so Paul begins to defend his Jewishness, but ultimately what Paul is defending is not his Jewishness, it's the gospel. How do we know that? Well, here's, here's what we see. They were bringing accusations on against him, but none of them could agree as to what the charge was. They didn't even know what the charge was. So there was no issue. They're, just, they're either making stuff up or there's something a lot deeper going on. Acts 21, 34, it says, Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another when the commander tried to figure out what this was all about. But Paul knew what it was all about. It was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was about the truth. Here's what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For, we, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts and to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Listen to that. The God who has said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Keep that in mind when we hear Paul's testimony. So Paul doesn't shut down. He knows the issue is the gospel, and he embraces these circumstances as an opportunity for him to give a testimony. That's why he had said, I am ready to be imprisoned and even die, because he had made a commitment and he was courageous. And see, listen to this. Paul's Paul's, uh, focus in this is not self-preservation. It's gospel proclamation. How many times do we spend more time defending ourselves than proclaiming the gospel? Making ourselves look good than making Jesus look as he is, and that is glorious. Paul is not about self-preservation. He is about gospel proclamation. So are we willing to, just like Paul, as the crowd presses in, as it gets difficult and, and, and we're about to be killed, are we willing to turn and say, I beg you, permit me to speak? 
He was bruised. He was accused. He was bleeding. But he knew that the issue was the gospel. And it's not, it's not easy to give your testimony always. And usually when you do it and when I do it, I still experience this. There's, there's this anxiety or tension that arises. Do you know why that is? See, look, if I, if I want to gossip about somebody, if I want to complain about something, I don't struggle with that. And it just comes out. You know why? Because sin's the easy road. Satan doesn't need to attack in that moment. There's no war ensuing when I'm trying to sin. But when I'm trying to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the spiritual warfare at that moment has ensued, and it's intense because it's war. It's a battle. That's what uh, C.T. Studd was talking about when he said a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for Jesus Christ. Hear Paul's words to Ephesians in, in chapter 6. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle that we're engaging in, and we have to be committed, and we have to be courageous. And if you look in that uh, Ephesians 6, it's not going to be on your screen. In verse 18, there's something importing in there, and I want us to see that. Here's what he, he says in, in Ephesians 6, 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Why? And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That we as a body long and pray for and petition that we would be glorious testimonies of Christ Jesus? Or am I praying that you will be just as bold as I am? Is that my burden for us to be united in proclaiming this message of Christ? So are you courageous? Are you, are you committed? Well, Paul also had a composition as you came in, and there's a table on this side and a table out in the back, there was a piece of paper that I hope many of you will get. And it says, your testimony, how to prepare your story, how to prepare to tell your story. And I would love to see us as, as a body just take this seriously and write down our testimonies and be prepared to give a testimony to Jesus Christ when the opportunity arises. That, we, that we're prepared to be committed and courageous if God should so open the door. And, and if you complete this and you want to write it out and send it to me, I, want you, I would love for you to do that because your testimony is as much a part of my testimony as my own. We are the body of Christ, collectively united as one. So your story is a part of my story. Why? Because it's all wrapped up in the grace and mercy of God displayed in the cross and face of Christ Jesus. And so we should be eager to hear and to share. And so what we see is that Paul shares using this basic format of talking about his life before following Christ, how he received Christ, and then his life in Christ. And that's what that worksheet kind of works you through, how to do that. So let's look at Paul's uh, life before following Christ. Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. 
And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Remember, this mob is ready to kill Paul. He begs to speak to them. And what's his first word? Self-justification? No. His entitlement? No. He says, brothers and fathers. He speaks to them with a term of endearment. Why? Because he wants to connect with them. He doesn't want to burn bridges. He wants to build bridges. Why? For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, 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 that the peripheral issues would not be the issues. And so what he says is brothers and fathers. And then we see in verse 2 that he speaks to them in the language of the Hebrews. Paul had just spoken Greek to the commander. He could have addressed them in Greek. They probably would have understood it. Most of them, a lot of them. Why did he use Hebrew? Why did he use the language of the Hebrews, which is Aramaic? Why did he do that? Because he wants to gain their hearing. He wants to connect to them. He wants them to listen. And listen, it's worth it. What does it say in verse 2? And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and he said. Because he built bridges, because he connected with them, he gained a hearing for the gospel. He also addresses the false charges. They said he was anti-Jewish. He explains that he was born a Jew. They said that he was anti-law. He says, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. They say that he was defiling the temple. And he says, I was so zealous for the purity and the holiness of Israel that I killed and persecuted the people of the way. I tried to eradicate what you consider dirty and defiling this land. And his next explanation point, he says, hey, just ask the chief priest, ask the elders. And he doesn't say, but now look at me, I'm so much better than you. In fact, he relates to them on another level in verse 3. He says, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Paul knows he's been a part of that mob. He knows that he's been in their shoes. And he says, I was just like you, but something happened. Something miraculous occurred. I was wrong. He also keeps it personal. Paul says, Hear the defense that I now make to you, before you. He doesn't say, Hey, look, here's a great sermon series. You should go listen to it. It's going to rock your world. Here's a book by Francis Chan. Read that. He doesn't say, hey, here's Adam Camp's number. Give him a call. No, Paul is committed and he's courageous and he gives his personal testimony. But in giving his personal testimony, he doesn't focus on him as a person. He focuses on Jesus Christ. 
He focuses on God's undeserved grace and mercy shown to him through Christ's death and resurrection. He doesn't focus on peripheral issues or the culture wars or the talking heads that we watch on TV. He focuses on the issue, and the issue is Christ. Do you know him? So not only does he tell about his life before Christ, but then he, he recounts how he received Christ. And we're not going to read that for the sake of time, but in Acts 22, 6 through 16, what we find out is that Paul is on his way to Damascus. He's blinded by this light, and he hears this voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he realizes that's Jesus. And Jesus tells him that he needs to go to Damascus, and a man named Ananias is going to tell him what he should do. And when he comes to Ananias, Ananias basically shares the gospel with him. And then in 16, what does Ananias say? And now why do you wait? Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He was offered the gift of salvation. He knows that this was not because he was pursuing God with his whole heart. He knows that this wasn't because he was meditating on God's holiness as he was walking along mountain paths. No, this was a man who was bent on destroying the way and God miraculously intervenes. He had tried to snuff out the light of Christians only to be blinded by the light of Christ. He had sought to bring the Christians to their knees in shame and condemnation, only to be brought to his knees by the glory of Jesus. He had sought to eradicate the spoken name of Jesus in the region, only to hear Jesus himself say, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. Paul couldn't deny it. This was a miraculous work of God. And Ananias shares something important to him that, Jew, that, that Paul, as a good Jew who had studied and knew the scriptures, he says, The God of our fathers, verse 14, appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and hear a voice from his mouth. To see the righteous one. Same statement that Peter uses in Acts chapter 3. It's a, it's a prophecy. It's a, it's a messianic prophecy found in Isaiah 53, 11. And it talks about the righteous one who shall bear their iniquities. Paul knew that this meant Jesus was the Messiah. Paul knew that this was the transformational moment in his life. Paul, who wrote in Romans 10, 9, and 10 these words, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Think about Paul's testimony. What happened? Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, Jesus, I mean, Paul was blinded by the light of Jesus. And what does he say? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus responded, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. He couldn't deny that he was Lord. He had heard it himself. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what had happened? He saw the resurrected Christ. You can't really deny the resurrection at that point. So he knew he was Lord and he knew he was resurrected. So he needed to call on the name of the Lord. And that's what he did. 
And he shares his testimony. And then after he shares his testimony, he shares his testimony of uh, after receiving Christ. And he doesn't get to finish this part because when he says the phrase about taking the gospel to the Gentiles, the crowd erupts and they cut him off and he's not able to share. And guess what? We're going to share our testimony and people are going to cut us off and they're not going to listen. But our job is not to worry about their response. Our job is to be courageous and committed and obedient to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul did. But we see in in Acts chapter 26 kind of an interesting thing. Paul gives the same testimony, only this time he gives it to King Agrippa. And what is King Agrippa? He finishes it. And here's what King Agrippa says in 26. And Agrippa Agrippa said, verse, uh, verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, will you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, uh, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. He got to finish that one. See, sometimes we're going we're gonna to be able to complete our testimony. Sometimes we're not. But our job is to be, resp- I mean, to be uh, obedient to the call to share the message of Jesus Christ. As I was uh, thinking about this message this week, and, and, you know, with my wife's grandmother passing away, you know, you begin to think about your story. And I, I was thinking about my own grandmother who passed away when I was in college. And I was reminded of something that I cover up with every single night. It's this blanket. See, some of you are going to look at this blanket and you're going to think, man, that's busy. That's a lot of pattern going on. And to you, it might look like a mess, but you know what it is to me? These are the remnants of my grandmother's dresses that she sewed together. And wrote a note on the back to give to me. See, we look really different in here. We all have testimonies that aren't the same. You look at this church and, I mean, some of us are a little gaudy in the 70s. And some of us, you know, a little more fashionable. Not exactly missing match. But guess what? There's a single thread that links every one of us together. It's Christ. So the world can look at us and say, oh, well, that just looks chaotic. And what we say is it looks beautiful because it's the testimony of us. It's the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we just be united as a people in Christ, committed to the gospel and the advancement of his kingdom? Can we be a glorious representation of all that he has done in our uniqueness? United in Christ. So some of you may have someone in mind that you need to go share with. I hope you'll do that worksheet and share. Some may never have called on the name of the Lord and today is the day of salvation. If you will call on his name, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you. We thank you for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, that we, a people who are rebellious, going our own way, lost, have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. So I pray, Father, that if anyone here today has never put their faith in Christ, that today would be that day that they would. 
And if any of us need to just take a moment and hear your voice calling us to be committed and to be courageous and to be faithful to share our testimony, Lord, would we hear your voice as Paul heard it on the Damascus Road and go forth undeniably knowing that we are doing your will, that we are being obedient to the ministry that you've entrusted us with. Break our hearts. people who do not know, who are blinded by the God of this age, and make us a bold witness. We pray all this in Christ's name. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.